Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Science Dispatch, episode 59. My name is Cameron English. I'm your host, as always, joined again by Dr. Chuck Dinnerstein, Director of Medicine at the American Council on Science and Health. For those of you who can't see, he's uh, he's flexing, big, strong Dr. Chuck. And then we're joined, our special guest steps down out of his ivory tower once in uh, three months or so. <laughs> Dr. Josh Bloom is with us, Director of Pharmaceutical and Chemical Sciences at ACSH. Can people see this? No, no. I can I can you're, allow you're them safe. to. No, I I mean no. I look more atrocious than usual, so I need to not be on camera. Okay, fair enough. Josh okay. is uh, handsome as ever. Everyone who's listening yes. to this yes. over the internet. Yes, I am. All right. Well, um, it's been uh, an exciting year, and uh, it is the new year as you guys are uh, listening to this. So uh, I hope you had a great one, great Christmas, and all that. And um, We've got some some interesting science and some just outright silliness to, <laughs> to finish out 2023 for everyone. So this first story, simply enough, is called Range Anxiety. This is by Dr. Dinnerstein. <laughs> Second story, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, is called Big Bidet Aims to Wipe Out Charmin. <laughs> just Josh's scholarly take on uh, the science behind uh, the bidet, which <laughs> apparently is much more popular than I anticipated. But we'll get to that thrilling story in a second. Uh, let's let's talk about range anxiety. Uh, and Chuck, let me read this intro, and then you can kind of break down uh, what we're talking about. So you write at the top here, plug-in electric vehicles running solely on electricity are the cornerstone of the effort to reduce vehicular emissions. Prediction of electrical use and environmental benefit base their calculations on vehicle miles traveled, assuming that the number of miles driven with electrics is the same as those by conventional fossil fuel vehicles. A new study questions that assumption. Okay, take it away, Dr. Dinderstein. Okay, so I mean, it, it, it really begins with the fact that um, the assumption has been made that as we all transition to electric vehicles, we will continue to drive our vehicles the same number of miles that we've been driving our fossil fuel cars. And the researchers put that assumption to the test to see whether, in fact, that was the case. And lo and behold, what they found was is that electric vehicles are being driven uh, less, significantly less miles than a conventional fossil fuel uh, car. And so they then tried to get a better sense of what might be the underlying cause of that. And while they didn't say it quite directly, uh, it really comes down to a problem of what I would call range anxiety. Uh, my first experience with range anxiety was when I was in uh, a Tesla with my friend who uh, we just went out to uh, have lunch in the neighborhood. And when he looked down to see that he only had a five or six percent charge left in his car and he was then panicked trying to determine where he might go to fill it up and um, how long that might might take. Now, because Tesla, the Tesla cars are really built by computer engineers, uh, there is an app right, built right into the uh, system to tell you where the nearest uh, charging station was, which was, as it turns out, his home. But it was interesting to see that... Um, all the way home, he was quite concerned that we weren't going to make it. And he had a, me promise that I would stay by my phone in case I had to re rescue him with my fossil fuel uh, <laughs> car. So range anxiety is really uh, uh, is, is a real thing. And 
what you can see is that the initial models of the, the Tesla had what they were saying was a range of 250 to 300 miles. Uh, most people will say that that was an overestimate uh, to begin with. And those kind of mileages um, mean that only certain groups of people will be able to use uh, the car in that way because they still have to be charged. Now, the, the thing about charging is that it's far less expensive to charge an electric vehicle than a fossil fuel car, but it takes a lot longer. It's not as if you can pull into the gas station, pop in the uh, hose and be out of there in five minutes. It takes at least 15 to 20 minutes to supercharge uh, your car. And so that raises the question of how are you going to spend your time uh, while there? So one of the unintended consequences uh, of the electronic vehicles will be that the gas stations will once again morph into something different than they were. I don't know if you've noticed, but nearly all gas stations today come with a mini mart attached to them. And the reason for that is because there is no margin in fossil fuel. The amount of money that they're making uh, on pumping gas is minuscule. And the only way that the companies can uh, make money at this point is by having those additional shopping services available. So you can see how if you have to be there for 20 minutes, we might start seeing that McDonald's starts to uh, pair up with uh, an EV station. So you might as well have a, you know, a Big Mac along with your uh, Tesla fill-up. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting overall scenario for things. But what the researchers did is they, they looked at um, the sale of used cars and found that the odometer readings were far less um, than they would have anticipated for a comparable fossil fuel car. And on that basis, they say we're driving less. That also means that the, the market for the cars um, – at this point is different. The people that um, can easily make use of an electronic vehicle are the people that don't leave their neighborhoods or that live in an urban area where it's just running around and doing a few errands. The, uh, the classic uh, people that spend time in their car commuting are going to find that it is difficult um, to switch to an uh, EV vehicle. And then the interesting thing, of course, that comes from that is that lately um, EV sales, which were initially fairly robust, have gone flat. And one of the arguments made is that probably the best transition at this point is a hybrid vehicle, where you get um, the advantages of uh, electronic motor recharging the system and you also have the advantages of fossil fuel so you still have a, a significant range you can pretty much go wherever you want and fill up um, my, my son has one he loves it so there we go there is uh there's there's something i'm trying to find the word for it maybe it's um maybe bait and switch is a little too harsh but it seems to me that um electric vehicles have been sold and everyone has decided that this is our way like a real transition away from fossil fuel use, like primarily from energy generation and transportation. Those are the biggest, and I guess heavy industry too, but right. Transportation is one of the, one of the big gorillas in the room, so to speak. And, and it, it, this, 
I think what the study highlights for me is there are clearly all of these issues that have not been thought through. They're, they haven't been addressed yet. Maybe they will be. It just takes uh, really smart people time to do the math and figure out how they're going to build a better battery or a better charging station or what have you. But it, but it seems like we're going at this backwards, right? We didn't happen upon a technology and go, this is viable and we can make this work. It was, it was almost a political decision, I want to say, where everyone said, we need to end fossil fuels, this is how we're going to do it. And now we're running into these issues. So what, like you mentioned that sales are flat or declining, I guess, whatever, you know, whatever estimate you're looking at, but it's because the cars aren't reliable and consumer reports came out and said that of all publications, they just said people are having issues with, you know, there's 20 different systems throughout these cars and they're all having real serious um, problems you know, that the owners are investing a ton of money in. So what do you think? Am I, am I being a little too uh, dramatic here, uh, Dr. Dinnerstein? <laughs> I hate when you start with that Dr. Dinnerstein. That barely puts me on the, uh, the hook there. <laughs> I better I get nothing wrong. Too, you know? <laughs> Excuse me, Joshua. I got an opinion too. Well, let's oh, talk I'm, so- I'm, I'm sorry, Josh. To get, I want you to feel included. This is a safe space. It is. Um, I will buy the last gas-powered car in the world before I buy one of those stupid things. Um, it's a, this is a unicorn. Uh, when Chuck says 20 minutes, you also can see 45 in other places. Oh, for uh, sure. For sure. If you don't and, have a charge. And yeah. that, you know, that, that's without four idiots in front of you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, nobody is going to, especially like New Yorkers, they're not going to sit there for an hour and a half to get their cars charged. They're not going to buy them. Um, Obviously, two million of them just got recalled yesterday, so that doesn't help either. But, um, and uh, here's a little known fact for non-New Yorkers. Let's say you're driving um, electric taxi around. And you're running out. Where do you go? Just about all the stations in Manhattan are in garages. So um, if you've never been in a Manhattan garage, <laughs> there are, if the capacity is 200, there's 700 cars in there. So you wouldn't, it's like Frogger uh, trying to get those cars in and out of there. And that's where the, um, Charging stations are kept. Not only that, they charge you for garage time, which you see on the sign, special $10, and then it says for the first minute, and then it's like $27 for an hour. So there's a $27 surcharge, and I'm not kidding about $27 for an hour either. No, no, not at all. I, you so, know, I, 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 I hate to veer from my political uh, leanings, but I think there's a problem with central planning uh, on this project. <laughs> I mean, it was passed down from above yeah. and it, the infrastructure and all the things that are necessary to make this really work are not in place yet. And until they're really in place, um, a lot of the sale of electronic vehicles are, Virtual signaling uh, more than anything else. 
Um, and, and now, and interesting, I have somebody in my neighborhood that is virtual signaling both sides of the spectrum because they have a Tesla and a Ford 150 pickup truck in their driveway. So I'm not really quite sure which way I'm, they're, they're signaling, though. I can see that they can signal to any group they wish, depending on which car they take out for the day. Well, the Ford is to pick up the Tesla once it's stuck in the middle of the highway. <laughs> you can tow it. That, but, but Chuck, that is a really good point, though. And I, I don't. It, it's. I know you were being tongue in cheek, but it's not really political to say. You know, there's trade offs involved here, and there's real costs, and we have to consider who's going to actually use these vehicles. And I mean, it sounds like if if various governments get their way, we all will be forced to use them, and that's how they're going to make. Make but you work. would, you would, gonna, you would think gonna... that they would have gone with the the hybrid model because that that allows everybody to make a transition, mm-hmm. and that allows time for the infrastructure to build up and change. Simply going from one type of fuel to a completely different one makes that far more difficult to do. And you see the um, this problem also carries over to the car manufacturers. Now I. I, having driven in two or three different electronic vehicles at this point, I will say that the difficulty with the Tesla is it was designed by computer people. And so it's like driving a computer, which is not a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Once you get into an EV that was built by an auto manufacturer like BMW, those are beautiful cars. And they drive like cars, and they're 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 amazing, but BMW has has made a choice. They make only they make no hybrids. They make an electronic version of the car and a fossil fuel version of the car. You may buy either one, but, right? But they they don't have separate models of different kinds. They just the one the entire line is EV or the entire line is fossil fuel. Take your choice. Hey Chuck, I would argue that it's not just an infrastructure problem. Uh, I think they, there's still a massive technology problem. In terms uh, of the batteries or in terms the ba- of yeah, the-, the, the batteries, the range anxiety, the range, um, and the time it takes to uh, recharge them is, uh, the, if you could recharge the thing in five minutes and it went 300 miles, Everybody would buy them, but if you can go 200 miles and have to wait an hour for a charge, nobody's going to buy them. Well, now, some people have suggested that we, we switch to not recharging, but just pulling the battery and popping a new one in, just like a, if, if the car was a flashlight. Yeah, well, that's, that's good for the environment, for sure. We should all do that. <laughs> well, yeah. then, 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 they, then you can recharge the batteries at your leisure and, and go from there. It's interesting because, you know, one of the things that – I'm doing in the next few weeks is having that discussion with the with the military people uh, about uh, EVs on the battlefield, mm. and one part of me recognizes that that's probably not a good idea, but the other part of me says that if we turn this problem over to the military, there will be a very good, very durable battery within a year or two. You know, po- po- possibly. I, I, the thing that's strange to me, though, is that when it comes to fighting wars, generally. We don't, we don't say, uh, well, we've got this political agenda that you're going to participate in. I guess that's happening more and more, but like when it comes to submarines, you know, those are nuclear powered, <laughs> right? Because yep. those carry the big bombs. So we're not going to mess around with, uh, 
and they and they stay underwater for long periods of time. Yeah. So they're not popping up to refuel. Right, right. So, so in other words, I don't know. Maybe this is cynical of me, but it sounds like when we need things to work, uh, we just do what works, and we don't waste time with all the silliness. And, and there's other things beyond the scope of this study that are important, like battery recycling. I mean, almost none of these batter, yeah. car batteries are recycled. They're liable to explode. They're difficult to dismantle. Um, you know, the, the the rare earth metals and minerals you need uh, are already electric vehicles are the biggest demand on these. So that's a ton, ton of mining. And then if you have millions upon millions of people driving these cars, you're, you're only going to need more of them, you know? So it's been, it's been interesting to watch organizations like the international energy agency and the EPA sort of dance around the very difficult facts here. Yes. You know what I mean? So in other words, I guess that's a way of saying there's a lot of math magic going on to use a term that you're, uh, yes, absolutely. You know, it's, it, it switching all to an EV environment is, is, remains aspirational at at this time rather than operational to use Mm -hmm. a phrase I ran across, uh, today. And, and, you know, I, I think that was part and parcel of what the article was getting at and that the researchers showed. I mean, they took one of the basic assumptions of the models and showed that it just doesn't hold water. Whose idea was it to carry a spare? A spare? Yeah, a, a spare battery. Or no, not to carry a spare battery. You, you would pull into the recharging station. They would oh, pull the battery, they, you know, like like... Like a like a like a D battery, they pop a D battery out, right. pop that another one in. Yeah, you know that's actually I, I've thought of that, and that's one way to make this thing work. Because um, I'm thinking like you're talking about like keeping it in your back seat, and it weighs a thousand pounds. Yes, and popping it in into the car is going to be uh, still a, a re-engineering of what they're doing. Yeah, but that you know. That I think is a good idea. Maybe maybe, fun, the, maybe the only good idea. Maybe I mean that. May, and again, you're the chemist, so you probably know better. But it seems to me that you still have the recycling issues. You still have the demand on on uh, you know heavy metals, and like like you still have to scale the technology. I guess that's the ultimate problem. Is even if you're swapping Bingo. batteries. Bingo. You know scaling. You know taking in uh, something from the laboratory or from a small test group and scaling it up to full size, um, there is what uh, some people have termed a loss of voltage, uh, pun intended, I guess, in this case, Uh, uh, and and that what works very well in the laboratory or on small scale uh, does not necessarily work as well on large scale because of any of these problems that we've talked about. Just, just a final thought here, and comment comment on this, either of you, if you want to. But of course, uh, EVs are heavily subsidized. You know, the um, you know consumers get rebates for buying them. There's deep discounts from the dealerships. Of course, the manufacturers are heavily subsidized. Um, the charging stations are subsidized by the federal government. So, in other words, to get this lackluster performance, still costs us an arm and a leg. Um, so that's got to be addressed at some point, because at some point you just run out of money where it just does not make sense. But then you can't possibly afford it, you know. So I don't know. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Good luck finding a politician who will speak out against electric vehicles. 
you know, and I, I, and I mentioned it briefly in passing in the article, but having an electric vehicle in addition to virtual signaling does, does help you out in other ways. Um, it's inexpensive to fuel, so that's a nice thing. If you notice uh, from the holiday commercials, there was a one commercial for an electronic car, and uh, the little girl was asking how Santa was able to make it to all the different places, and the, the family said, well, because he gets special parking as they pulled up in front of the EV charger in front of the building. And, and if you look at a lot of the, the buildings now, uh, right next to the, the, the disabled individual parking are EV chargers. So if you have an electronic vehicle, you get a better spot in there. And again, the other thing that I found was with Hertz, when I rented my Hertz fossil fuel car, I had to bring it back with 90% or more of that gas tank full. And if I used an electronic vehicle, 10% was fine with them. So. Right. Yeah, because they're not carrying the tab as much as they are with gas, exactly. I guess. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Interesting stuff. Uh, problem not solved. So we'll see what happens. I'm curious because they're like in California, you know, there's, there, there's real, there's laws with teeth that are saying you're going to start driving these more and you're going to like it. So I'm very curious to see how that unfolds. Um, but, but while we contemplate, you know, real high level, serious policy, environmental issues, let's talk about toilets. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I have a family and I own a home and I have to read this, this sentence, Josh, thanks to you. So here we go. Anuses are like martinis. Some like them dry and some don't. And in the bathroom, a similar debate continues. Hardly a day goes by when the bidet versus toilet paper war fails to rear <laughs> its ugly head. This is only one more reason why ACSH flush with newsworthy articles is the place to go to learn about this and similarly vital issues. Buckle up. Now, Josh, and in fairness to you, uh, you conceded that this is not an educational article. And as someone who spent a few minutes reading it, that's true. I didn't learn anything. <laughs> so so maybe you can explain what you're going for here. Is it just a little bit of levity at the end of a very difficult year? Uh, Cameron, <laughs> if you knew all of this, then it's time for some self-examination because you've been reading some weird stuff, Daddy-O, because <laughs> no one should know all of this. Or, um, or any of it. Well, you know, it's uh, it's like a, electronic vehicles, electric vehicles. Some people like them and some don't. And there's a there's a debate. And uh, when I saw the Washington Post article about how using toilet paper is grosser than you think, here's a better idea: instead of wiping with toilet paper, try a bidet. Well, I figure if this is in the Washington Post, I need to discuss it and <laughs> and, and, and give it the gravitas that it deserves. <laughs> it complements the rest of their science coverage, let's say. It does. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was the usual kind of argument. What gets what cleaner? Uh, you know, the technology of of bidets, the geopolitical uh, bidet uh, situation, because it's some places they're all over the place, some places you never even heard of them. I mean, this is an international incident we're talking about here. So um, the uh, 
I, I'm going to focus on the comments because that's where the best part is. But I should just mention, um, keeping uh, Chuck's article in mind, that we also have something I would call range anxiety here. <laughs> and this occurs, I know the viewers can't see the photo, but I, I picked up a photo of a, a toilet next to a bathroom wall with no toilet paper. And I'm saying about three feet, maybe four feet away from it is the bidet. So the obvious question is, how do you get there without the toilet paper? Carefully. Well, there's the, the possibility of um, the danger zone uh, between those two. Careful. Careful. Where I... I, I, I noted that one should be careful not to assume that those are goobers or raisinets lying on the floor. Is is a technological? Stop laughing at me. It's a technological problem. Um, so with that, um, you know, there's the science. Okay, wait. I I have to. I'd like to speak Please on do. behalf of Big Bidet. I have. <laughs> Several, uh, to be a contrarian once again, I have found several important facts <laughs> to share with everyone on the topic. I can't wait. Okay, well, here we go. First of all, as we will all agree, it is a cultural uh, phenomenon. Very much. Uh, in Japan, 80% of the households have a bidet. We're nowhere close to that here. I would say my first experience with a bidet is in my my native land, where Cameron currently is in California, uh, with a $9,000 or $10,000 toilet. And I must say, it was lovely. Oh, strange, but but lovely, nonetheless. Okay. Made my, just made my day. I, I'm here to share with you. Okay. On the other hand, now here, and here is the the first of the two fun facts that I wanted to share with you. In 1940, General Franco determined that there must be hygienic bathrooms in all homes in Spain. And as a result, over the course of time, Spain was the first of the EU countries to basically have bidets in all the homes. It was considered um, more hygienic. And it was also considered a way to attract other European tourists. But for those people that are concerned about the government now insisting that we get rid of our, our stoves uh, because they, they run on gas, we have history that shows almost a century ago that the government was busy telling us how we could run our bathrooms. So I thought that was fun fact one. The other fun fact was the reason uh, given by many people why bidets have not been um, embraced in the United States is because most of the exposure to bidets occurred with GIs during World War II, and the bidets were found in the, the brothels that the GIs were busy liberating. <laughs> <laughs> and as the person describes, um, the, the, the bidets had uh, a difficulty because they were a symbol of sin in a puritanical uh, culture. So there we go. Yeah. Gives a whole new meaning to the, the phrase spreading democracy, doesn't it? 
Oh, uh. <laughs> oh my God. We... <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, I don't know how that's terribly offensive, given, given what I'm... Or, or <laughs> no, no, we're just going to have to re-rate the episode. This is not going to be one of our usual. Josh, I'm, I'm wondering here, to, to give maybe... Maybe give this some sign of a, a scientific gloss. This this uh, post article was written by an MD named uh, Trisha Pesharicha. I want to say is her name. I mean, why? Without getting too graphic here, can you explain what her what her case is for uh, why a bidet is a better choice? Well, the the ugh, this is. I just ate lunch. I got to talk about this. <laughs> you wrote the story, dude. Well, that's not my fault. <laughs> The, the, you know, the, the crux of the article is that <laughs> it's better to wash it off than to smear it around. Okay. And, but there are other medical things that come up. Um, it may be more hygienic, but there's also another risk, um, and that's fecal vaginal contamination. Let's, if the thing is, like, not aimed properly... So that's that's actually a real problem. Um, so, but you know, that's about all all, all the science that really is in this, um, and that's probably overstating it. So, what I'd like to do next is um, just <laughs> give you an idea of what some of the some of the lunatics. Um, that follow me wrote in before I do that though, I ran into a portable bidet, which looks like a, a, a like a, a water bottle with a really long spout on it for when you're traveling. All right. Well, that's not going to be in my suitcase any anytime soon. Or if um, you're bored at home on a Friday night, you know, <laughs> well, as I put, um, it, the only use I can think of it is on April Fool's Day when you use the thing and then swap it out for a Gatorade bottle at a football game and just wait for somebody <laughs> to use it. <laughs> and that's about it. Oh, yeah, really helpful stuff. Really helpful right. stuff. Let's get to the comments because it's yeah, got the comments be are the best. Yeah, my, my yeah. favorite, I, I, you can read it if you want, but one of, the, one of our dear commenters pointed out um, – you know, the problem of installing these in public bathrooms, which which horrifies me. The thought of uh, bidets in public restrooms, which are disgusting on their own. <laughs> well, you know, I think half the people will think it's a water fountain. So there's <laughs> a problem right there because we've got so many morons in this country. Uh, yeah, well, so, somebody, a number of people talked about countries where they're in public bathrooms. I guess people get used to them. Um, but there's some technology involved here, all right? And there are a number of ways to wash yourself. And, um, oh, good God, why did I do this? French, it's, the drying issue is not insignificant. <laughs> and there are a number of important opinions here. Um, <laughs> some lunatic... Uh, named the priest said, I'm going to invent a bidet you wear 24 seven and it just drenches your ass all day, every day. <laughs> to which I replied, do not invite the priest, the priest 
to sit on your new Chesterfield velvet upholstered sofa, $35.99 at Pottery Barn. Uh, so Priest likes to keep it wet. Um, there's another lunatic who uh, probably needs a little psychological help. Um, his name is Burdock Eyes, and he says, I like to rinse using a bidet, dab dish detergent on the toilet paper, rinse again, and then dry with toilet paper. It's the only sure way to get my bottom clean. What's he going to be doing? Recombinant DNA research in there? Like, how clean does it need to be? You're not sipping a, you know, uh, cream soda out of the thing. I mean, so um, I, I just said paging Dr. Freud and Mr. Clean on that one. <laughs> we are a morning uh, comedy show now, right? This yes, is morning, we are. The morning, all we need is a soundboard, and uh, we're good to go. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, I'm on a roll, Daddy. So just so. Oh, there's more. Of course, there's more. Absolutely. Someone named Marza wrote, "I have bought at least five bidets at this point. They make great birthday gifts because you can write a card that says Happy Bidet, and also invite your over yourself over to install it for them." And my response is, the obvious question is, how many anuses does Mar Marza have since she needs five bidets? And what's the appropriate reciprocative, reciprocative uh, gift to someone who gives you a bidet? And I, the best I could come up with was color-coded catheters or an engraved do-it-yourself liver biopsy kit. <laughs> so he gives you a bidet. Good luck. What are you going to give them back? And uh, one more, only one, one more. more. Okay. Um, uh, the, the, one of the met one of the um, one of the people simply said, "I prefer to use three seashells." <laughs> and then some, <laughs> yeah, like. Um, I, that's where I stopped, and that's probably a, a decent place to stop. Although, actually, people wrote in and researched that, and there's something to it. Because in this world that we live in, of course, there is. <laughs> well, it's all a shell game, you know? Uh, that's all for Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. I, I think we should stop before we just go... It entirely off the rails here. <laughs> well, so, so welcome to 2024. Yeah, yeah. With that, everyone have a lovely new year. We wish you lots of success and uh, bidets, if you, if you so yeah. choose. <laughs> Keep it clean, guys. <laughs> I don't Bye. know. Look, we're done. We're done. Follow us on uh, social media. It's at ACSHorg. Uh, Dr. Bloom is at ACS or uh, at Dr. What what Josh Bloom ACSH? Yes, <laughs> I got you a little rattled. Didn't, didn't I'm yeah. all I'm all disheveled. What can I say here? And uh, and then I'm at Cam J English. Chuck is the wise wisest of us, and he's nowhere near Twitter or X or whatever. All right, everyone, happy 2024. We'll see you on uh, the other side. Bye.